I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Award-winning network journalist Gloria Riviera has been around the world chasing stories for ABC News, Nightline, and Good Morning America. But she found the most important story of her career in her own home with her young children. And there's something that I think everybody feels when they feel the thing. And it's sort of related to when you know there's a good story there. And it's just this like, I've got to do this. I, I have got, like, you cannot talk to anybody else. I have to do this. You have to hire me. Like, get out of my way. I need to be a part of this in whatever way, shape, or form I could. The This is a new podcast from Lemonada Media. No one is coming to save us. Exploring America's child care crisis and solutions. You can be part of the solution. An all-new episode of Swan Dive starts right now. From the mobile Peacock and Park Studios, somewhere on the road to life, this is another edition of Swan Dive with Ron Rothberg, that's me, and in Costa Rica at the fancy nasty studios, it's Stuart Sheldon. Hello, lifelong friend, Stu. Hmm. Ron, my brother, my hero, because you got in a RV a month ago on a one-year journey to nowhere. Where are you exactly at this moment? We are in... We are in the Catskill Mountains, uh, right outside of Cat- Catterville Falls, uh, just in that crazy Hudson Valley area of, of New York. And we have been just having a lovely time. Today, today we went into Hyde Park. Uh, my wife grew up, or her first three years of life were in Hyde Park, New York. And that's the home of FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. And today we went to the Vanderbilt Mansion, rode our bikes around, and tried to find Christine's house. And uh, But what we did find was one of our heroes, Eleanor Roosevelt. Every time I learned something new about Eleanor Roosevelt, I love her even more. Uh, she was the first really active social activist, you know, in, in the White House, really. And we go to her grounds, you know, her compound, which was like Camp David for the Roosevelts here in Hyde Park. And there's a plaque and there's a, there's a picture of them all in the pool. And here's a quote today that I read that made me love her even more. If one did not enjoy children, dogs, and noise, several hours of each day would seem like pandemonium. And I hope... No doubt about no doubt about that. I love all of the above. I hope that that um, ties into what we're going to be getting into this little mess of swan dive today uh, with our guest and the road of life, which, you know, 58 years old, Stu, I didn't wait till 65 to get my social security and all that shit. We've said, let's do it now. And I feel like there's so many people in America that are playing this waiting game, either on the front end or the back end of life. And that construct needs to be forever broken. And I hope we can get into that. No doubt, my friend. And and you're right in in regard to our guest today, wh- whom I love and who is a dear personal friend. That idea of dogs and children and noise uh, is very relevant. This idea of juggling many things and doing many things simultaneously and doing them well is is very much on point. So let me introduce our guest. Award-winning journalist Gloria Riviera spent 20-plus years as, as an ABC News producer and correspondent based around the world covering breaking investigative and feature stories for the network's flagship broadcasts and social media platforms, including Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and Nightline. She has a very exciting new project as host of No One is Coming to Save Us, launching May 20th from Lemonada Media, the podcast network that presents humanity unfiltered. Gloria is married to Jim Shudo, anchor and chief national security correspondent for CNN. They met in Fallujah, just like all of us, (laughs) during the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003 and live in Washington, D.C. with their three kiddos, Tristan, Caden, and Sinclair. Gloria is a dear friend that I love very much, and I'm very grateful to welcome you. Welcome to Swan Dive, Gloria. 
Oh my God. All the love. I feel mm-hmm. all the love. I'm so happy to be with you guys. This is already awesome. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, you know, we met when you were just starting at ABC News. You were just out of Princeton, not to drop names. Uh, <laughs> you were the assistant to the legend, Sam Donaldson. And over the past two decades, I've watched as you've added more and more layers to your life, uh, both professionally and personally. So now you're a seasoned TV news professional and a mom and a wife and a homeowner and an athlete. And you've somehow managed to balance or appear to balance all these complex dynamics. So add COVID COVID to this mix. And I just want to ask you, how are you doing at this moment? (laughs) I mean, how is it going truthfully? You know, truthfully right now, I feel really good. And I feel really good because I've made a pretty serious pivot in my professional identity, which, you know, as we all come to learn, infuses everything. So like in this moment, I am in it. I am hoping by the time this airs, we are done with this series. Mm -hmm. We are, we are super in the weeds, uh, you know, almost talking about every word that's on the page that needs to be said, but it is a huge, huge topic. And you're right. Eleanor Roosevelt very much factors in to the issue of childcare, which is what this podcast is all about in this country. Isn't well, let's get right to it then. So let's talk about, yeah. you know, the, your swan dive. I mean, yeah. Gloria Riviera, what was your swan dive? You know, my most recent swan dive had a few elements in it. One is, has to do with this saying that I think it, what is it? That luck is timing and preparation, right? And I had been in network news for a long time, for a long time. I loved it. I was super jazzed. You know, I, I just, my image from network news is looking up at the big board in Charles de Gaulle airport and looking for my connection because they were sending me to some other wild, crazy place. And I just was so pumped in those moments. But then I had kids and it got really, can we swear on this podcast? Got yes, we, pr- we prefer it. <laughs> it got really fucking hard for me because the expectations on a correspondent don't change when you have kids. And it was brutal. I mean, a lot of tears from me and my kids. And, um, and so I, I kept along with it. But, you know, my confidence was kind of in the tank at times, a lot of the time. And I COVID hit. I wasn't doing anything for ABC. I was just trying to keep it all together like all of us were. And this podcast came along by Lemonada Media. I knew they were doing it about care. And I just for the first time felt like I have spent so much time telling other people's stories, uh, which has been an amazing experience, but I have to tell this fucking story. Yeah. Like I have to tell this story. And that was the start of my swan dive. When you All say right. it's so hard. the new podcast. The, oh, sorry. Well, 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 Ron, let me just, let me just introduce this. Ron, pipe down. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm already a fan. I'm already a subscriber to this new podcast. It's called no one is coming to save us. And it's such an important and of this moment project. It explores the crisis and frankly, the opportunity of childcare at this moment. Now, Gloria, you're the host, actress, activist, and mother of two. Kristen Bell, who we love from multiple television shows, is uh, appearing in each episode as a special call it like it is correspondent. And she's going to untangle some of the more complex issues with her own lightness and humor. And the series is co-created with, with and presented by Systems change nonprofit neighborhood villages. And I listened to the trailer just the day before yesterday. I immediately subscribed and really felt like this is actually significantly important. This conversation is deeper than it sounds on the surface. So tell us how you came to be a part of this. Well, thank you. That's lovely. Those are lovely words. And they 
are all very resonant right now. Uh, I came to be a part of this because I am interested in content production. As I said, and we can get into this later, you know, network news can kind of mess with your uh, confidence. You know, the saying is you're only as good as your last piece. So there have been times in my network news career where I've thought like, now, right? I'm ready for the anchor desk. Like, move, move over, Diane Sawyer. Like, <laughs> I, I deserve this. And, and you know, that didn't happen. Um, so there I was, COVID, you know, no one's covering anything. And this opportunity to interview for this podcast comes across my desk, sort of like as a, as a afterthought. You know, these, this pretty cool company is, is working on this pretty cool project. Here's their name. Scheduled the interview for 10 days hence. I looked into the company. The very first podcast they did was a podcast about the opioid crisis in this country. And the founders of Lemonada, Stephanie Whittleswax and Jessica Cordova Kramer, both lost their brothers to heroin addictions when they were 30 years old. Mm. So the idea of addiction resonates with me. I've lost people that I love very much. And I dove into that first podcast. Like I listened to it all the time. And what was so different about it was how vulnerable and raw and I mean, Stephanie is the host. She was tearing up. I was tearing up, if not out, you know, flat out bawling. And I just got this sense that they were doing things, you know, differently than I'd heard in other places. Hmm. And I read Stephanie's book about her brother's death. And by the time I sat down for the interview, I had also taken those 10 days to, to get like fired up. And there's something that I think everybody feels when they feel the thing. And it's sort of related to when you know there's a good story there. And it's just this like, I've got to do this. I, I have got like, you cannot talk to anybody else. I have to do this. You have to hire me. Hmm. Like, get out of my way. I need to be a part of this in whatever way, shape or form I could. And, you know, I was saying before, you know, if if luck is timing and preparation, it's also somebody giving you a shot. And they they fucking hired me. <laughs> and there have been so many moments when I've been like, Oh my God, everyone's made a huge mistake. This is a huge mistake. Oh, contraire, my friend. <laughs> but is contraire. It, that is the, the, those are the voices that everyone hears on every pivot in everyone's life, I think. But what you, you've done an interesting thing from the broadcast, from the, you know, the, the face on the TV to the voice behind the mic. This medium of podcasting is so incredible. You were touched as you were talking about the, the Lemonada media uh, uh, content that they're creating. How did you pivot to this medium? What was the change that you saw in storytelling with audio versus sight, sound, and emotion? Such a good question. And you guys know this, but it took me more than a minute to figure it out. So I'll tell you this story. Uh, when we were first getting together to sort of hammer out the episodes, I kept saying, we've got to go to Boston because that's where Neighborhood Village is, which is this systems change. And I didn't really know what that meant, but it means they go in and they ask existing childcare systems what they need, right? So they'll go to a nursery school in Boston, figure out they need an operations manager. So I was like, I've got to go there because my best television work is when I'm live with someone else and I'm doing, guess what? Connecting, listening to them, mm recording a real moment. I've learned in network news that so often the best thing is to say nothing because A, people are inclined to fill silences and that's where the gold dust is. Mm. So I was like, I've got to go. I've got to go. And and they were like, yeah, you know, they, they've been in the field for some of their podcasts. But when we sat down to track, I was in like anyone who knows me listening to this will laugh. Stu, you'll probably laugh. But I was in my network news voice. I was in a in Boston, childcare is, you know, <laughs> this very formal, weird voice. I mean, it's not weird because you know, I used it for a long time, but it is weird. And people who know me really well would be like, you don't sound like yourself on television. And so Stephanie really, she has a background in theater. She really directed me during my first tracking session. And they, as it turns out, they want all the raw. They right. want all the interruptions. This happens to be about childcare. I have small children. They interrupt me all the time. Stephanie's like, no, keep rolling. This is the good stuff. You know, they, they like that. And I think what I learned is that those moments of connection can be created through audio if you have two willing partners. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you as a host understand what you're really looking for, 
those moments that you just flag when you see them on paper, you're like, oh, this was a good moment. That can happen arguably more regularly and more poignantly in audio. So I think it took me shedding, you know, shedding a bunch of, you know, ideas that I had in my head about who I was supposed to be. Yeah. Another thing about the podcast space, and we've been in it for a year with having no idea about anything. Absolutely (laughs) fake it till you make it. And I don't even think we've made it yet for, so we're still faking it, but, um, it's totally liberating. It's wild west, but here's the thing glow. And here's the thing, lemonada media. And here's the thing. Listeners, Gloria is so the real deal. She's such a human being. She's such an honest person. She's such a noble person. She, she feels her feelings. She's broken like the rest of us. And she's being a mom as best she can with three kids and a job and her husband with a huge high profile job. And she's just holding on by her fingernails like everybody else. And so she is the real true, like hardworking person who's really trying to, to, to operate a high level and, and you, you know, you're doing it. And sometimes the wheels fall off for oh, all yeah. of us. And I know they've fallen off for you because I've been there over the years and, but that's you okay. That's re- it. You've seen it. <laughs> that's real life. That's, that's, that's yeah. what we all manage. We got to get up and dust ourselves off. And so I think in terms of the podcast and the content that you're discussing, you are so emblematic of the topic. You are the poster child for this topic. This is infrastructure. Yeah. And last week you were, you had a very interesting conversation about the idea of childcare as infrastructure. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I, I believe that it is, but not to get too off, off into the weeds. No, that's totally um, on topic, actually. Well, like, you know, t- tell us tell us what that yeah. means and what that looks like, because that's, that is being debated in the Senate as we speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I laugh because I live in Washington, D.C., and my friends who live where I grew up in Seattle, they're like, oh, I saw Stone Gossard at my kid's soccer game, or oh, I saw Dave Matthews happens to live there. They see all these cool people. And in D.C., you see like high-level politicians at your son's baseball game. So I ran into one of them, and we got talking, and she said, yeah, child care is infrastructure, and infrastructure is how people get to where they need to be, right? Plain and simple. Bridges, roads, potholes. It's like how we help people get to where they need to be. And when you think about it like that, and especially after COVID, which has just kicked all of our asses, but particularly if that argument can be made, I mean, we've had millions, over a million, I don't know what the number is, but it's a big one, women leave the workforce because they just can't, they can't do the juggle anymore. They can't, childcare centers have closed. You know, it's, it's been a shit show. And so if you think about boosting childcare, like, by the way, every other country except for right. the United States and, oh, guess where? Papua New Guinea. Yeah. We are the only two that don't do jack shit for our families. I mean, it starts with maternal care, but goes on. So that's fucked up, and it shouldn't be like that. And by the way, it it, it isn't. It hasn't always been like that in our country. And this is where Eleanor Roosevelt comes in, because – During World War II, there was this idea that, oh, Jesus, like we need women in the workforce. Hmm. And prior to World War II, there were like a ton of social ideals and ideas about women that kept them out of the workforce. There was a time when it was only okay for you to go to work if your husband was one of the four Ds, dead, drunk, disabled, or I think maybe like disappeared, left the family, you know? So those were the four Ds. And then it was, then it was like, okay, we understand why you need to go to work. Um, But during World War II, a lot of women went to work to make machinery for the war effort. And the government was like, oh, we need to give them childcare. And this country created amazing childcare for the children of those women. And It's very much similar to what the military has today. At the end of the war, the government decided we don't need this anymore because the men are home. So, you know, ladies, you don't need to go to work anymore. And they closed the programs. And Eleanor Roosevelt had a column at the time. And she wrote about it. And she wrote, this is a bad idea. We need this. This country needs this. We should not close these centers. We've identified, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing from my mind, but it was a very strongly worded 
basically editorial opinion piece about what a bad call the government was making. And so that was it. No more child care centers. And uh, it, it wasn't until the military got their act together in, I think it was 1989, and they committed to full-time child care for their um, enlistees that yeah. they created a pretty kick-ass child care system for age zero to five. Fast forward from that. So it's World War II. And now, uh, going back to your words from earlier, you know, you were thirsting over the anchor desk and yet you had this. It was hard for you. You had the, the ladder was in front of you. The rungs were there. And now women are part of the workforce. And now women are climbing and women are climbing, but the kids can't climb on the desk with them. So we're fast forwarding now. And now it is a whole different paradigm of success, status, and and climb. How does that square now? Did you get into that with the show? We do very much. And it makes me think of my mother who in the 60s had my sister who was a toddler or baby. She wasn't even walking, I don't think. And I had never stopped to ask her like how she did it because she started a career in finance. And, you know, Stu's heard stories about my mother. She's a force. And she's like, well, I just started knocking on doors. Hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean you you knocked on doors? She's like, well, I left your sister with her father. I walked out of my door and I went down the street and knocked on doors. Hmm. Because there was no, she's like, we didn't, there was no Googling daycare. They didn't have any of that. Right. And I'm like, well, how many doors did you walk on? She's like, oh, say, say four or five, five houses on this street. Five, oh, then I went to the next street. You know, finally someone gave her a recommendation. But that were that was the option for someone who didn't have family nearby who wanted to enter the workforce. Like you had to figure it out. And we always sort of say that with a smile. But fast forward from the early 60s to I guess it was like 2008, 2010 when my kids were born, my first two. You know, we would have these baby showers and they were terrific. But after the baby was born, like, where were all all those people? Mm -hmm. You know, all you want is for someone to hold the baby. Can someone just hold the baby right now? (laughs) And no one was around. And it was like, you know, what the fuck is that about? No, it's it's so it's so fundamental. And and you know, it's so interesting. What what what's so exciting to me about about your podcast is that this idea, this framework, because as I said earlier, in the Senate right now, the conversation is defining infrastructure. Okay, literally, how do you define it? Obviously, it's bridges, it's roads, it's airports. But the new framework is, but listen, if you can't, your kids aren't sorted out, you can't get in the car and drive over the bridge and go to the airport. So you can't work. You can't start your workday. It is part of the infrastructure conversation. And that's where we need to start to think different, if you will, because it's just, you know, women like Glow can't be the superheroes that they are if no one will, as you say, hold the baby. And so it's this opportunity right now to reframe this whole idea of early childhood care, or as the the right side of the aisle is sort of, you know, disparaging home health care, they're calling it. And they're saying home health care is not infrastructure, but but it is. And so tell us a little bit about how you're going to explore that. How are you going to unpack this in the podcast and how are you going to change hearts and minds in the four episodes that you guys are rolling out. Oh, well, I'm delighted to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, here's what we're going to try to do, right? So first we tell people like, guess what? Our country has done this before in World War II. And we tracked down one of the teachers from World War II, who is this lovely woman. And she's like, we took care of those children. You know, she's in her 90s. She's just this amazing woman with a degree, by the way, in psychology from the University of Chicago. Bam. Uh, yeah. So she they, they really set up this system with qualified people. And they would even send you home at the end of the day at some of the centers oh, with them a warm meal because you've worked a long day. So like, here's your child and here's dinner for four, um, which I was like, God, that would be so nice. Um, <laughs> then we, we look at the military, which is doing it very well. And we look at the woman who, while the military was drawing down, and this is relevant to the budget talks today, the military was at a point where they were tightening their belts, firing actually firemen who worked for the military. And the woman who was in charge of these childcare centers had to go and ask for money. 
So like, I know you guys are not investing in very important parts of the military, but I need you to give me a huge budget so that we can do childcare the right way. I mean, this woman was like so ballsy in her like 90s power suit, marching to the budget table at the Pentagon to be nice. like, here's what we need. Nice. You know, just complete badass. We look at areas in the world where they do this really well. Berlin, for example, has a familial center. And that's my bad like German accent said in English, <laughs> but they have a family center in every neighborhood, sometimes more than one. So it's like two or three with social workers who work there and it's free. It's free. Mm. Um, in the U S only 4%, the number is about 4% of U S companies provide some kind of childcare. The one that does it, I think very, very well, they all do a good job. But I got to speak to the head of Patagonia, Inc., which for me, I was like, let me just tell you, this is me interviewing Eddie Vedder. I love Patagonia. Yes. <laughs> like, I love everything about you. They, since they started in the 80s, the uh, Melinda Chenard, the woman who's married to the founder, they both started there at the same time, had a baby. And so did the other women coming to work at Patagonia. And so they decided early on, I mean, they they really are a different planet in many ways in the way that they invest in their employees. And the woman, Jenna Johnson, told me, we look at our 100-year business plan. I was like, oh, that's smart. I should probably <laughs> do that at some point. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we all need a 100-year business yeah, plan. Yeah, we all need a 100-year business plan. But they um, created the Great Pacific Child Development Center. It's available to all employees at their headquarters in Venice and their main shipping delivery uh organization in Reno. So that is a that is from the moment you come back from maternity leave until your child goes to school. Hmm. They are being taken care of and cared for. And when they travel at Patagonia, oh, you travel with one of your child's great Pacific caregivers. They book two hotel rooms. So is that infrastructure or interstructure? Because I think there's two things going on here. You know, that's an interstructure. And that's the conflict that I think a lot of people have because these constructs need to be blown up. And when you hear something like yeah. Patagonia blowing it up, not necessarily blowing it up, but constructing it, uh, it goes against the, there's a there, there's this crazy thing that's happened in America where uh, this this badge of courage of working 50, 60 hours and traveling every day, uh, you getting on a plane and saying goodbye to the kids. How, that's the interstructure that we need to talk about as well. I was on that train for so long. I listened to your um, your intro, your your preview of the of the podcast, and your the trailer, yeah, the trailer. And your kids are crawling on you, and you're you know you're, you're in tears about leaving them. And I had a, such a vivid memory of something. We, I was working, and I was at a, a conference. We were in Charleston. We're drinking wine. the The marketing people are showing off just how well they can entertain us. And it was my daughter's birthday the next day. And I'm in this conference oh, and I and I said ouch. to I, I went to my boss and I said, I'm leaving. I rented a car, I went home from Charleston, and I got home, I spent the night at a friend's house, I woke up the next day, I snuck in the house, I I I, I get emotional even telling it every time I tell it, but I'm emotional with myself for even deliberating that conversation in my head yeah. that I was gonna be away and that was gonna be okay because I was with people and ah. Uh, we have to work on our infrastructure is what yeah, the other part sure. of that. So I hope this And helps. I think that's part of the infrastructure. I mean, I think that we all have stories that don't just pull at our heartstrings. They, they tear them to shreds. I mean, I, in the first episode, I was knocked off my seat because listening to someone that we interviewed, Sarah Muncy, who's one of the founders of Neighborhood Villages, just talk. I mean, just talk, tell a story from when she had, I think, like a two-year-old and a baby. Her kids were very young. Just listening to her, like that that sound a person gets when you're like, oh, she's about to cry or he's about to cry. You know, they're not like sobbing, but you know it's coming. Brought me right back to that that birthday story you're talking about, which was we all have such pain that we carry from things, decisions, hard decisions that have to do with career that we made. And when you go around the world, it's like 
people don't really know what you're talking about because that's not their lived experience. Their lived experience is that their children will be taken care of by someone they trust with their lives. Yeah. Full yeah. stop. Yeah. Like I no, trust that, you it, with my, my child's life. It's a paradigm that exists in most of the world with the exception of the United States, even in Costa Rica. You know, there's no such thing as a babysitter in Costa Rica because your abuela and three tias and four primos live 20 meters away. And that's the end of it. I have a question, Glow, and that is given the past year and a half in COVID with all of us sort of forced to live with our children and work in close proximity to our children, how is that informing the conversation on childcare? And, and, and now that we've all kind of had to care for our children directly, do you think that has made more vivid the, the, the need and the responsibility to have our children seen to, um, and not just throwing us all to the, to, you know, to the, to the winds to sort it out on our, on our own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what COVID has done is that it's brought this into sharp technicolor focus and we cannot unhear it, right? Mm. We have people who are pushed to the edge and you have good people who want to work, who want to contribute, who want to provide for their families and they feel like they can't. And that's put an enormous amount of pressure on the school systems, on childcare systems. I mean, I, the countless people, their lives have been uprooted. And I, I adore and love my children to the ends of the earth. But like 24 hours a day for over a year, like <laughs> there were some, there were some tense moments, yep. you know. Um, so yes, I think now is the time for this story. I think now people are paying attention. Like Sue, you've mentioned, you know, we talked to the White House. We spoke with Senator Elizabeth Warren. What a badass. She puts this at the center of her presidential campaign because she gets it. You know, she's she's so funny because we're looking at how her plan differs from President Biden's. And she's like, well, you know, he could spend a little bit more money on this. <laughs> but but she's right in my mind. And that's another thing about podcasting. Like, I get to say what I think. Yeah. So, yeah. like, sign me up for Elizabeth Warren's plan. Yeah, yeah. we need that. And yeah. we it's like at minimum, that's what we need. And so we have a moment now where we have an administration that's willing to listen an administration that's talking about investing a large amount of money. You know, it is about the money. Like during the show, I'm like, show me the money. Where is the money? Show me the wait list and the money. There's so many wait lists in early child care. It's like these babies are on these wait lists before they're even born, which is just drives me Ugh. batty. But isn't money, you know, isn't it's, money it's, industry. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it, it drives the economy too. It's industry. It helps. It's going to yeah, put people back is. to work. Yes. Yes. So in Quebec, we go to Quebec, which is a tiny, tiny little slice of Canada, as we know. And they made this decision in the, I think it was the late nineties. And they have some numbers that are wild. Something like 85% of the people, the women in Quebec between the ages of 20 and 44 go back to work after they've had a child. Hmm. And the numbers in, in the U S just are really not anywhere near that. I mean, to say nothing of when you talk about infrastructure and infrastructure, you're a single mother. Do you know how much bureaucracy stands between you and getting a voucher that will put your uh, tuition at a rate you can actually afford? That's a, that's a, that's a nightmare in and of itself. So it's just right. like, we just like to throw roadblocks. And if we just fix this problem now, highlighted by COVID or start, which neighborhood villages is like, okay, we can't create this from the ground up, but we can go in and we can give these places what they need. We will start to see change. I truly, I, I feel more fired up about this than I have felt about any story really, yeah. except for a very few that I ever did in network news. I, I, I feel like we will change things. If we you get should, this. you are, you are change agents. you and Lemonada media and, and neighborhood villages, you, you're change agents. How does men versus women figure here because it seems like when we talk about childcare, we're talking about like supporting the woman because yeah. the men get a free pass and they get to go to work and they get to do whatever the job they do. And it doesn't, it, nothing changes, but the woman's job is compromised because she has to, you know, take care of the kids. How does that, you know, the sort of man v woman dynamic fit factor into this discussion? We've spoken to families in which 
we've only spoken to the fathers actually because they're super involved and you know often in the US we're talking about how much it costs so for whatever reason i don't know if it's that i really don't but they they do speak up when they're talking about the family budget right like this is just going to be too much money for our family to afford i think there are a lot of social reasons why obviously this is in a woman's corner I think particularly when you speak to single moms, you know, we talk to a lot of people who say, this is the situation I'm in, and the father is just not around and not involved. I think right now what we need is still we're so sort of the sexes are so segregated. We we need men. We need men to get it because predominantly – Men are the CEOs of places mm. that can afford to provide this childcare. Yeah. So that's a big issue. And, you know, to say nothing of we'd love to see more men in the field of early education. I've talked to so many women who say, I would love to stay in this field, but I'm so underpaid, I can't afford it. I mean, we, there is a story about a woman who went to drive a public bus because it pays better. Not that, you know, anyone is better or worse, but like she went because it pays better. Mm. So, so after everything you've learned in the four part, if you could wave your wand, what does it look like next year for a family, for a woman that just had a baby during COVID? What does it look like in two years? It looks like you're not trying to get that baby on a wait list that in your local area, and they've done this in Portland, collective voices have come together to demand change. So we are childcare voters. That's how I'm going to vote. The next candidate that comes along, I will want to know exactly how much money is going into my community to support childcare. I mean, mm -hmm. I would hope for her, first of all, we would all hope that our children don't go through this. Like, do you want your son or daughter or whomever it is to like have to have this, this is a problem you don't know you have until you're right smack dab in the middle of it. So I think about that for my children. I don't want them to be facing this. So in the future, I would hope a huge budget passes. And I would hope that people are looking at neighborhood villages. Again, this is like where I get to say my opinion. So I get to say, I think what they're doing is amazing, which is they put like a ton of miles on, they have a, a, a mom minivan. They did a land landscape of their immediate area around Boston. And they realized that what places need is help. And most often it's organizational help. They need a body in that center to fix the plumbing. If the plumbing goes poorly, fix, you know, order the supplies. So I would like to see a mom in the future think not, I have zero options, but, oh, I've got a few different options whether it's family care, whether it's an early child care development center, whatever it is, I think that's the first burden that needs to be lifted. That like after the baby shower, which is all rainbows and butterflies, it's not all like Game of Thrones finale. Yeah, child care voters is is not mm -hmm. red or blue. That is right down the middle, man. I love that. I haven't heard that. I'll get the bumper sticker if you have it for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We should do it that. Also comes down, it also comes down to this refocusing and recalibration of our priority system on early education. You know, I don't know what happened to the public education system since I was in public, public school and had a wonderful experience. My mother was a public school teacher. My aunt was a public school teacher. And this, this focus on that um, starting, starting certainly at kindergarten, but obviously sooner is something that we just need to throw gobs of money at. Yeah. Senators on each side of the aisle, por favor. And <laughs> um and 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 the the childcare piece is the very first tranche of that experience. Let me shift gears slightly, Gloria, because you recently founded your dream content production company, your words, yep. titled <laughs> It Must Be Said, which is so new it doesn't even have a website yet. <laughs> But tell us about this dream. You now that you're going to get into the content production side of things, which I find very exciting. What does that want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up with that? 
Well, it's so funny because it came about because of this project. And at a certain point, um, my husband was like, you might want to start a company. And and you guys are much more, I mean, look, you've done it with this podcast. But I mean, that to me, like I have family out in Northern California and that's their gig. You know, they, they hang with folks that start things left and right. I'm not wired that way. <laughs> um, I like a 401k. Or are you? Or are you? <laughs> or are, yeah, or am I? So I, um, you know, I started it because... Really, I felt seen for the first time in a long time by Lemonada. I felt super valued for what I had to say. And that gave me the crazy idea that maybe some of my other ideas might also be received well. So uh, we kicked around a few ideas. And I, I always say, like, whenever I'm doing a story, well, you know, it, it must be said, whether I'm in a, in a, you know, press conference and I say it to you know, the president of a country or the head of the Red Cross during a disaster, I'm always like, it must be said. And then I, it's a good way into any tough question. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> it segue. It must be said, not by me, but I'll repeat it right now for you. What's your hundred year plan for that content company? My hundred year plan? Childcare. We will be providing <laughs> childcare to our first employee. <laughs> no, I, I want to do what I have felt has happened so naturally with Lemonada, which is to take good projects to good places with good people. Right In on. network news, I could get a call and I'm off to a hurricane and I might not have ever worked with my cameraman before. Like, I, I don't know who they're sending. You know, you, you sort of curate that as time goes on. But I landed at Lemonada with an awesome, you know, surrounding yourself. This is another part of the swan dive. Like, we all, I did at least. I spent a lot of time, like, sharp elbows. Who am I working with? You know, am I smarter that, than that person? You know, do I have better sources than that person? Now I'm like, please surround me with the smartest people you know. Just send them to me and we will all keep each other sharper, smarter, more awake <laughs> when we're working yeah. to the, you know, into the nitty gritty hours. How did you get to that change? Um, I, I, I think... I think Lemonada is building a team very carefully. So I walked into their team and I didn't know it right away, but it's a comment here, encouragement there. Uh, it, it's just slowly dawned on me that these people were like kick, kick, kick ass. And just that just takes away so much of the BS that you deal with when you're working in larger organizations. Um Again, I had an amazing experience at ABC. They sent me around the world. I met my husband, like incredible place, but not without issues. And so I feel like I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm 47 years old. I think everyone I work with is younger than me there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, can somebody tell me what kind of jeans I'm supposed to wear? I'm 47. <laughs> like, what kind of jeans? Like, skinny jeans are out. Like, what you am I rock the mom jeans? Like, what come on, I, jeans. Yeah, you got, you are, got they, that. are they back in? I don't know. At the same time, though, what a resource you are for those folks. Have you felt them reaching oh, out to nice. you? I have felt positive feedback when I get in there. And actually, I think that that's a good note about the swan dive that I'm doing, which is, you know, I always thought the career police were going to like walk up to me at a cocktail party and be like, oh, tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. Like, oh, so I'm, I'm so sorry, but you're not supposed to be here, <laughs> which is like <laughs> another conversation about, you know, mojo and confidence. But I, I always carried that with me. And, you know, finally I'm at a place where I, I have some, chutzpah behind what I put down there and what I, what I write and what I suggest. And, and also I'm totally willing to let go. If someone's like, you know what, that doesn't work for me because of X, Y, Z. And I see that I'm like, right. good, done. Let's cut that. We don't need that. You know, so it's like this, this much more liberating space to operate in. And it took me a long time to get here. So I think like really, like we always say, like, it's really I'm going to cry over what's left on the editing floor because I get attached to things, but I'm much better at processing that, you know, processing mm. that like, okay, like I love that part, but fine, we can leave it. Yeah. God, that's lovely to hear you say all of that. You know, having met you when you were just like right out of school and literally your first gig in, in, in network TV. And, and now, you know, you've, you've got that kind of wisdom and Zen detachment. That's a, that's a, a profound arc. And with that, let me ask you this question. What are you most proud of looking back? Ooh, 
like professionally or personally, or we get to talk about it at all. Either way, you know, you, you, you answer that question, however you decide. Um, I'm proud of two things. Um, I'm really proud of the way I experienced my father's death in 2016. Oh, that was beautiful. Along with the birth of my children, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been through. He really taught me how to go with grace and gratitude. And it was fortuitous because it was about a month and he died of old age. He slowly drifted away, but we talked about everything. And to the point where I was like, well, dad, I think we've covered it all. Mm. (laughs) And we would laugh, but just to see him go and teach me how you can ultimately let go of this life, this chapter that we have was really beautiful. And then facing my own potential, uh, you know, I am two years out from a surgery that removed a, sizable tumor from my brain that was precariously perched on my speech and personality center. I, I, I got, I had an MRI today, you know, they keep me humble with it's a brain cancer. And fortunately it, it wasn't, um, you know, quote unquote, the type that killed John McCain, which an unhelpful, uh, nurse told me, I was like, okay, by the way, I covered John McCain's yeah. cancer and that is not helpful right Oof. now. <laughs> you know, God bless that man, an incredible icon in our country. Um, but yeah, I went through a period in which I thought I might not be around Mm. and it was, you know, going through that after seeing my father go through his own death, um, and let go. I don't know, guys. I mean, what can I tell you? (laughs) No, honestly, that's like the best answer to that question that I've ever had. (laughs) You don't need to embellish it anymore. You, you want, you just won the most proud of contest. Um, That is so touching and so profound. Listen, I, 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 a friend of mine was was also fighting cancer, and we lost her. You know, two months after my surgery, and there is no rhyme or reason to that. There is no rhyme or reason to that. It, it, it fucking sucks. But mm-hmm. I am still here, and so why the fuck not? Why why not spend my time on things that fire me up with good, smart people? You know, I I just I I hope and pray that this content and the content I'll create in the future moves people. It lands with them, and they they we we get to work. We have a lot of work to do, and so. Yeah. We don't have, well, we don't, you don't have all, all day to do it. <laughs> no, but we're lucky you're doing it. Your podcast is going to be successful. I'll call you nine no, times a day for you to tell me that again. No, no, I'm watches. telling you right now because I listened to the trailer and I swear to God, 30 seconds in with the kids coming in and interrupting you. And I'm like, and the mic shifting on the de- I'm like, this is so real. This is, and then it's about childcare. I'm like, this is genius. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so blow, are you going to, are you going to be? peeking at the analytics every hour, seeing where your downloads are. Is that the kind of person you're going to be with this or, or are you going to just let okay, it organic? I, I would be, but I don't even know how to do that. Like they're like, <laughs> is your Instagram public? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I think I get my, I get my vibe from how I see people react to it. And listen, like one of the lovely things about being in a place like DC and doing what we do is that we have a lot of smart people around us. So I'm, I'm like, I don't know, you guys, I'm doing this podcast. Here's the trailer. And people have been so excited so I think those are my analytics. <laughs> like, I love okay. it. I love it. Let's, let's, let's shout it out. Gloria, tell our listeners or, or as the guys over at Smartless say, our listener, tell our listener, tell our listener how to find this and, you know, do, do, do that thing. Just yeah, shout yeah, out, yeah. Shout it yeah. out and send people where they need to go. Listener. No One Is Coming to Save Us is a four-part limited series, and you literally can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, any any of them, Apple, Spotify, Audible, anything. Um, so go search for it. Listen to the trailer. If it moves you, um, you know, I, I would be forever in your debt if you would subscribe and even more forever in your debt if you write your congressman, if you find a way to be involved. The lovely and talented Kristen Bell will tell you all about how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and hopefully we can get some we can get some mojo behind this. Well, By the way, I haven't even talked about Kristen Bell, but she is like 
So my husband and I both love Cheers. Listener, I don't know if you're old enough to have grown up with Cheers. I'm, I'm a Woody Harrelson. Jim's all about Ted dancing. Yeah. So that was like our first, like, we, we love we love that. And then my daughter loves Frozen because Kristen Bell plays Anna. So that's done. And then the rest of my family is in love with The Good Place with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like. Mom, just, mom got just got a lot dying. cooler. You I'm just so dying cool. that she's a part of this. I'm like, oh my nice. god, you're the best. Oh, uh, that's, that's awesome. So hey, you know that's what? You so just lovely. converted. You just converted uh, our listener to be a child care voter, and uh, I yes. I understand now how important that is. And it is not any side of the aisle. It is us raising our kids and being accountable to the next generation. It means it's infrastructure. It's infrastructure. It is all of us together lifting that next one to the best place. So what a noble cause you have on your hands. It's so nice to see you evolve. And it's so nice to see you step into this place that feels like a culmination. Um, It's funny because, you know, as a network as someone who's at primetime network news, it's so high profile and it's so grandiose and, 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 and you're in, you know, a hundred million homes and now you're jumping into this little tiny kind of podcast thing, but it feels so much more potentially impactful to me. I hope so. I and, hope so. And, and, and yeah, no. And it feels so of this moment, the specific lane that you're in with this particular project. Um, I'm very grateful as a taxpayer, that you're, you know, that you're on this thing. Um, but more importantly, I, I, I just, I want to wish you well, um, from the bottom of my heart. And I want to thank you for coming on our podcast. Um, um, we're just two guys, you know, two turntables and a microphone over here just banging <laughs> it out. Um, but we're trying to be inspiring and we're trying to move the needle a little bit too. And, uh, it's nice that you, that you were willing to just come and, and collaborate and share. So, so thank you, Gloria Riviera, for being on Swan Dive. And uh, everybody, 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 no one is coming to save us. Just go find it, subscribe, listen, and let's fix this thing together. Let's do it. Let's do it, you guys. Woo! Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a swan dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.